So last week we heard about our greatest commandment is to love God. Okay, how do we do that as a group? How do we do that as a family of believers? And so we heard from a bunch of different ministries uh, to that end. But this morning we are going to focus on the second greatest commandment, which is to love our neighbor. Okay, so before we kind of jump in, let's go ahead and stand up. And we're going to look at Mark chapter 12, uh, verses 28 through 31. And this is the same passage we looked at last week, uh, but we're going to review it and we'll, we'll hear both of the commandments uh, given by Jesus. All right, so just follow along as I read. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that Jesus answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Let's stay standing while we pray. Dear God, we come before you. Uh, we are grateful to be able to come before you boldly because of Jesus, or that we can enter into your presence, that we can have your presence even inside of us because of Jesus. Lord, we want to be faithful disciples of Jesus. Thank you for these two great commands that Jesus reiterated from, from even the Old Testament that carry forward to today. Lord, help us to, to obey them, not just in our individual lives, sort of our individual plans, but to obey them together, to be unified as one, to be able to better love our neighbors, better than we could just do on our own. So we give you this time. I pray for each person that will share. I pray that you would anoint each of our, our mouths as we share your word and, and how it impacts uh, our church. And we give it all to you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, go ahead and have a seat. All right, so from those verses, we, we see the two greatest commandments. We see that the, the greatest commandment, the number one thing you should do with your life is to love God with all of yourself, your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. And we see that, you know, if, if loving God is our, is our greatest commandment, then it seems like God's greatest desire when it comes to us is relationship. That's what he wants. And so this week, we're going to turn our attention to focus on this second greatest commandment, loving our neighbor as ourselves. And so through the first commandment, we see that God wants relationship with us. But it's through this second commandment that we see that God wants and values our relationships with others. That he doesn't just value our relationship to him. He values our relationships with one another. So God himself, because of his nature as a trinity, Father, Son, Spirit, because of that, he is and always has been in community. The Apostle John says that God is love, right? In 1 John. The reason that God is love is eternally true is because God has always been in community within the triune Godhead. Father, Son, Spirit have always been in perfect relationship with one another. And so God created us in order to share this concept of love within community. And so we have the two greatest commandments that, that reflect his character, that he is both love and he enjoys community. And so 
The question for us today is how are we as a church community embodying this second command? You know, love your neighbor as yourself. And last week we, we took a look at our church's vision and values, and I just want to review that real quick because our church's vision and values come directly from these two commands. Um, so the vision we can review again is to form a family of spirit-filled disciples of Jesus who are committed to Capitol Hill in truth and love. Okay, and the key word there this morning is family. That we are to obey this second command to love our neighbors as ourselves. We are to do that as a family together. And we are to do it in truth and love. So that's sort of the what. All right, so go on to the values. The values are the how. And the values stem directly from these two great commandments. The, the first commandment, love God with all of yourself, then stems to our first two values. We are grounded in his word so that we can know who he is, what he wants, what he has done. And second, we are attuned to his spirit so that we can know him personally, so that we can know him, enjoy him, worship him, walk with him intimately. So that's how we love God, but Moving on to how do we love our neighbor? We love our neighbor through this second set of values. We are both a loving family. So that's the love that's within. That's the neighbor that we love within. But we also are passionately missional. And so that means the love spills out. So there's a love within and there's a love without. The question I want to just start with before I invite up uh, wonderful people to share their hearts for different ministries here is, how do these values, loving family and mission, overlap? You know, what does loving one another here, now, have to do with those who are not here now? What does service and mission, perhaps out there, have to do with how we treat one another in here. And, you know, Jesus, you know, we, we attribute these two greatest commands to Jesus most often as Christians, but remember, this was a, this was a uh, Jewish scribe asking him, Rabbi, which commandment is greatest of all? He's not talking about Jesus' commands. He's talking about the Mosaic Law. Which command in the Hebrew Bible, the Hebrew Scriptures, is the best? Which is the most important? Which should we prioritize? Out of the 613 commands given in the law, which ones are number one? Like, that's a lot to follow. And Jesus goes and he quotes from the Old Testament. For the first command, he quotes from Deuteronomy, to love God with all of ourselves. But for this second command, he goes to Leviticus. Now, we don't usually think of the book of Leviticus as the foundation for loving our neighbor. We usually think of it as all the obscure, weird laws about food, drink, and all sorts of different things, clean, unclean. But no, this, this book is the foundation for loving our neighbor. Jesus goes there and borrows from it. Go ahead and Move on to that. So, this is where Jesus borrows from. It says, You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. <laughs> Don't forget. Did you notice there that it's within the family. It says, don't bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. So this is Israel commanded to love their neighbors as in their brothers, as in their sisters, as in the people of Israel. Okay? But even Israel was commanded to both love within and love without. So in the same chapter of Leviticus, a few verses later, God says this, When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, 
you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And so Israel was commanded to both, to both love their neighbors in Israel as themselves and the foreigner who resided among them. But, you know, as you can read throughout the Old Testament, the two remained distinct. The two remained separate entities. The two remained very clear and boundaried off from one another. And Israel got used to that. Jew, Gentile. But when Jesus came, he came to unite the two. He came to unite Jew and Gentile. And that's a lot of the mess that you see in the New Testament is the plan that Jesus came to implement, to inaugurate, is this, this collision, this unification of Jew and Gentile. And so I find it fascinating that in Luke's version of these two greatest commandments, the story that Jesus tells immediately after giving the first and second commandment is the parable of the Good Samaritan. Many of you have, have read it. Many of you have heard of it, at least. But the parable of the Good Samaritan is about an Israelite who goes on a business trip. He's going from Jerusalem to Jericho, an often sketchy route. And while he's on the way, he gets accosted. He gets attacked by robbers. And they, they rob him and they leave him for dead along the side of the road. This is an Israelite. This is a person of Israel on his way just to do his, his uh, you know, he's self-employed, he's doing his thing. And then some passers-by start walking. First, it's a priest, a priest of Israel. And the priest sees him on the, along the side of the road, nearly dead, and just walks on by. And then a Levite, who is from the family of priests, the tribe where the priests come from, sees the man along the side of the road, nearly dead, and walks on by. But then who should, who should happen by next? The Samaritan. You know, we, in our modern post-Christian America, we hear Samaritan, we think, dude, that guy's awesome. Good Samaritan. That's a term. But in that day, no. No, a Samaritan was not a good guy. A Samaritan was, was both racially and religiously other. And yet it was this Samaritan that saw him, that tended to his needs, that put him on his own donkey, brought him to a hotel, paid for his, his stay, paid for medicine, paid for food, and said, I got to go finish my, my job over in Jericho, but when I come back, I will pay anything that he accrues. Charge it to me. And so Jesus tells that story immediately after giving these two commands because how does the crowd respond when he gives the two commands? Someone asks him, well, who's my neighbor? Who's my, na who's my neighbor? I, I, yeah, I should love my neighbor as myself, but, but who is that? And that's the story Jesus tells So one of the purposes of him telling that story is to shake Israel up. It's to say the neighbors that they are called to love as themselves are the outsiders they don't like. In Christ now, the neighbors we are called to love are those that we are now to invite in to the family. The two are no longer distinct. So these two values, love within as a family and love without as mission, they overlap. Why? Because we want people in. That's our mission. So the connection between these two values is huge. Take a look at just two more passages before we, before we continue on. Starting in Galatians. Galatians. 
says, Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And then the next one, John 13, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. These passages illustrate that this is an overlap. Why are we to do good, especially within this family? That seems a little bit odd, doesn't it? Do good to everyone, but especially the other Christians in your life. Why? Why? The reason is because our mission, yes, goes beyond our family, but it doesn't stop there. The goal is to bring people in to this family. And if the culture of the family is shoddy, you know, if it's backbiting, if it's unforgiving, if it's gossipy, then what's the point in the mission inviting those into that family? What Jesus is saying here is you need to get the love within right. If you don't get that right, you're just going to be a hypocrite. You're going to go out and you're going to say, hey, God loves you. Come become a Christian. Come follow Jesus with us. But if you're not loving your own family, where's the credibility there? Right? Who is going to want to join that family? But then on the flip side, we don't just stop at loving one another within. That's, that's not our, our only mission, is to love one another. Our mission is to grow. Our mission is for this family to get more people in it. And if we lose sight of our mission to grow this family, then we lose our purpose as a family. It's not just an insulated clique. This is the love of God that we have, that we've experienced. And we want others to know it. And so, that's the unification of those two values. Loving our neighbor doesn't just mean the neighbors that we live next to, you know, wherever we live. It doesn't just mean those in our city that aren't yet believers, although it does. It also means loving our neighbors within. And it goes back and forth. It overlaps It informs one another. And so today, I'm going to stop talking, and I'm going to invite up uh, leaders from a bunch of different ministries that lean in one of these directions. Whether it's loving our neighbors by discipling and raising our children, or it's loving our neighbors by feeding them, by outreach, by evangelism. But all of these ministries, they they overlap. They, They cross both of those thresholds. And of course, they're also informed by our greatest command to love God. But let's start off by hearing from Shaylin Arsenault, and she's going to come up, and she's going to share a little bit about um, our, our kids' ministry and our, our loving our children amongst us. So, Hello. I'm going to start out just reading a couple passages from Matthew that sort of inspire me and why I want to do what I do. So uh, Matthew 18, 2, he called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. And then, sorry, scrolling through here, uh, Matthew 19, 13. Then people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. And Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. 
So um, I think what's important about children's ministry is uh, it, you have to humble your own self to uh, communicate with children. Uh, they're not going to understand certain lofty ideas, uh, deep theological questions and answers, but they do understand love. They want to be loved, and they need to be taught how to love others. And I think it's a concept that kids grab hold to, that they can be loved and loved others. So that's the priority that I try to bring into kids' ministry, which is right now I'd say a little bit more like glorified babysitting. We have maybe about three or four kids, most of them Pastor Nick's kids. Um, But it's a really beautiful time to share a story very simplified Bible story to inspire them and to get them to start talking about things and sharing and praying and just laying a good, simple but firm foundation for the kids. And they're our community, these kids. Um, they're, you know, part of this. There's not a lot, a lot of kids here, but there are kids here and they need to be seen as a priority and um, that they have a welcoming uh, safe environment for them, and uh, you guys can help, and not just by volunteering to teach or an, uh, being an assistant, which is honestly very simple. You just give them some animal crackers and color with them, um, but pray. Pray for the kids and pray for other families that are thinking of coming and bringing their kids, that they all feel comfortable bringing their children here, and uh, just pray for all our current leaders and assistants. Um, It's a great team. There's really wonderful people here that just love on the kids that are here. And um, yeah, that's, that's about all I have to say. Thank you. Thanks, Shailen. Uh, Next, we're going to hear from Karina, and she's going to talk a little bit about our uh, deacon ministry. I apologize if I start coughing. I think I'm losing my voice today, but um, (laughs) we'll try and get through five minutes at least. Um, I actually had picked out a lot of the verses that Nick went over already this morning, so I won't read them for you, but um, just as we went over in Mark 12, the two commandments, I think kind of the biggest um, way that that leads into deacon ministry is in 1 John 3.16, Um, It says, this is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has this world's goods and sees a fellow brother in need, but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love actually reside in him? And so I think that is what we see in the early church of Acts. Um, They pretty early on initiated deacons which is a word that really just means servant. In fact, it kind of means what modernly we use the word waitress or waiter for. Um, And we see them setting up deacons as a role in the early church, realizing that the teachers and the apostles didn't have time and shouldn't take away from their teaching or their ministries of prayer to go and do this task, that they didn't have time for it and they shouldn't sacrifice other things for it. So um, when there were widows that weren't being taken care of properly, they set up, I believe it was seven men who were the deacons, the first deacons, um, who served that population and made sure that they had the food that they were distributing and whatever other needs they had. And we see other um, characters in the New Testament and in the church who looked after the needs of the body of the church, whether they were widows and orphans or whether they were just people um, we see in the early church, you know, everybody pooled their money and their property together so that there was plenty, so that those who did need food or did need something had from the excess of others sufficient for their own needs. Um, So that's kind of how it was birthed in the church. And then today, as deacons here, um, we try to live out that command of a loving family um, without judgment and condemnation. Um, So whatever the need is, uh, it really begins as deacons. We are first trained, uh, just training our hearts to really um, have the compassion of Jesus 
and really seek to uh, love from Jesus's perspective, not from a Christian American perspective, and not go in trying to fix people, understanding that that is never our task, and it's never our task even to fix a situation for someone, but it is our task to love people well, and how to do that in wisdom, which very much ties into kind of the vertical aspect of always being attuned to the spirit. And I think being a deacon over the last few years, um, the greatest encouragement I receive is that when we're making especially a hard decision, or sometimes it's an easy decision, um, there is always unity in the decision because we're seeking God's wisdom, not our own. And we're seeking to have a unified decision together, not make just what we think is the best answer, but really what the person and the situation needs. So I think it's super encouraging that like it even gets as ex specific as, you know, if we don't know how much to give to a certain need that someone has financially, um, often God gives us all like an idea of like, I think 700, yeah, 750 is the number I had. Or like there's always a very specific unity to it and that's super encouraging and just shows me how much God is alive in the work that we do, how much he cares about each of you and how much he then equips deacons to understand what his understanding is of what someone in need may have. Um, and kind of as Nick was saying just a few moments ago, um, this very much is a way our church loves each other well so that the outside world can see how well we love each other, how we care about each other's needs, like the practical nitty-gritty, rent is not getting paid this month, or I have no groceries in the pantry, like those sorts of needs is what the deacons care for, medical needs. Um, and to see us loving each other well is one of the biggest witnesses, as it showed in uh, John when uh, Jesus is speaking to his disciples of, you know, we get that song from it, they will know you're Christians by your love. Um, so the, that's a really practical way that we as a church love each other well. And when um, we have like the allowance and budget as well as the Holy Spirit's leading, we actually do reach out to the greater community um, with the funds that you generously give. We um, take 10% of the budget for each year. goes towards deacons specifically to first and foremost serve each of you. Um, and then as allows to serve um, the greater community in Capitol Hill. Um, and that has led into leading to such things as community lunch that actually first started with a few deacons that really saw that need in our community outside our front doors. And that's kind of how it's grown. And I will with that hand it over to Melissa. Yeah, Melissa's going to come on up and <laughs> share about the community lunch ministry. Hello, everyone. All right, so I'm nervous, so I probably will be reading this all that I've prepared, but I'm excited. I'm, I'm here. <laughs> um... Some people know me as Melissa, but also some people know me as the lunch lady from Community Lunch. <laughs> um, so I'm here to talk to you about Community Lunch. A simple way to look at it is it's a time after church to um, eat lunch, a free lunch, together at the Parsonage, but it is so much more than just that. Um, it is a free lunch, though. Um, but it is a time for us to break bread together. Um, we come to church to worship, to pray, uh, and learn about God's word, and that feeds our soul and our mind. Afterwards is a time to eat, feed our bodies, um, have fellowship, and really dig into getting to know each other. Um, this is also an opportunity to come together to serve one another, too, we welcome not only people that are in our pews, you all that are here today, but we offer food to the broader community of Capitol Hill um, and our neighbors. The hope is to show the love of Christ that we've been talking about today too. Um, 
uh, to come to get our lunches um, and also to um, show that we care through a meal, um, provide a safe space, um, at a barrier-free safe space. Everybody is welcome. Um, you don't have to come to our church, but that is the hope. Um, but for us to pray as well as to have short uh, devotionals to share why we are here. Um, so it's just a, a space for that as well. We are only there to show um, love that uh, we wouldn't be there if it wasn't for Jesus and how he first showed um, love to us first. Um, the hope is, like I said before, is um, that everyone there would come to our church services to learn more about why we do the things that we do. Um, the hope is also that we provide an opportunity to serve, to get plugged in really quickly um, into our church. Um, and then people may ask, why is eating together so important? Um, and I looked it up just in general, um, why people think eating together is important. Um, and first, Jesus throughout scripture demonstrates this as he eats together with his disciples, um, as well as he welcomes uh, strangers, and it's an opportunity to invite the poor as well and serve them. Um, eating together is also a symbol of a shared life. Um, in Acts 2.42, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Um, there's two other verses that I'm going to read. Um, in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone, anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. Um, Proverbs 22, 9, whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. So eating together is a tangible expression of service, love, and unity. And because of the opportunity it affords for true friendship, fellowship, and genuine community. Um, this is also a representation of um, heaven. And so to eat together were earthly representations of the heavenly banquet imagery that had been reinforced by Jesus through his teachings as well as his actions. So Jesus, while he was here on earth, he, he ate, and it resembles um, the heavenly banquet that we will be together um, with Jesus participating in. Um, throughout the Old Testament, God leads his children to mark and remember him through feasts and festivals that brought families together and often involved sharing a meal together. So... We welcome you to this banquet every Sunday to grow in community with one another, serve and share in the life that the Lord has given all of us. So we welcome you. Awesome. Thanks, Melissa. Uh, Stephanie is going to come up and share about outreach and the mission group and, and the heart behind all that. So, uh, Hi. Uh, <laughs> okay. Um, I'm just going to pray really quick because I'm kind of nervous and I'm also really passionate about this. So, um, God, just please help me to share uh, about your will in mission and just in this mission group. Um, you love us so much, and we thank you for that. Amen. Um, so 
also, I kind of went back and took a look at some verses when thinking like, why does mission exist? Why does the church exist? What is this mission group going to be about? And so, um, yeah, came up with this. So God has created us and saved us ultimately for the spread of his glory in the world. And God wants a big family. So we see this from cover to cover in the Bible. In Genesis 1, we see God creates man in his image and says, be fruitful and multiply. In Genesis 12, the Lord says to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God wants to multiply the people in his family. And God makes Israel his people and makes a covenant with them and then Jesus comes and makes a way for us uh, who weren't from Israel to know God. And so before Jesus ascends into heaven, after his resurrection, after he made the way for us, his last words are recorded in Matthew 28. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And that's what the church starts doing and continues to do. And that's why you are sitting in this room right now because somebody before you shared the gospel and with somebody else and they got brought into God's family. Some might have even risked their lives to do so. And then fast forward, we get a glimpse of the future and get to see the most amazing thing at the end of time, like Melissa mentioned, when Jesus will come back to make the world new again in Revelation 7. And behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. It's going to be so beautiful, guys, people from all over the world worshiping God together for eternity. And so given that, uh, what do we do now with our time before Jesus comes back? Well, we think we got to bring more people into God's family, just like what Nick was saying, um, because that's what God's about. So this group desires to live in direct response to that call, um, and we think that if we direct our efforts towards this, uh, we will experience the most joy and fulfillment from life, since that's what we were created to do. So practically, we're going to start by meeting weekly as a team and spending time reaching out to the community. Um, To lay a solid foundation and equip us with practical tools, we'll be reading a book that talks about how God is making disciples throughout the world and what elements make an effective disciple-making team. Tiffany and I prayed through and read this book over the summer, and it was super helpful and practically encouraging. And we can't do this without abiding in Jesus, so we're dedicating the first 30 minutes of each time we meet as a team in worship in praise and thanksgiving. And each first Thursday of the month, we'll be joining the prayer and worship night to receive from God. And so outside of our weekly meetings, we'll be reaching out to folks with things like praying for the people in the park, talking to people in cafes, um, and time will be spent in our weekly gatherings planning this outreach and sharing testimonies of what God is doing. For example, we did a few events this summer in the park, and Zane really loves dogs, so uh, he got to reach out to the dog owners in the park and pray with them. It was pretty cool. And so each person in this team will play a part and be able to contribute in their own unique way and giftings. And I, and I emphasize this word team because this is going to be some hard stuff that we're going to do, and we're going to need each other and Jesus. But at the same time, I'm convinced that this is some of the most important stuff we'll do this side of eternity. And maybe you're unsure about something like this or any other outreach I'd ask you to bring the scripture from earlier to Jesus in prayer and ask him what his heart for you in this and what part he would have you play in his plan to expand his family. I personally have experienced the most joy on this earth when I have seen people come into the family of Christ. Anytime anybody gets baptized, the tears well up inside my soul because that's one more person I get to see in heaven for eternity. Because people are just waiting to be adopted as sons and daughters by the king. But for those that haven't been adopted yet, Romans 10 says, How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without somebody preaching? So let's find more people to party with at the end of time. Because when Jesus sets the banquet table and starts a new creation, it's going to be the best party the world has and will ever see.
That's great. Thanks, Steph. Um, and I think some of the events that you guys are going to plan, uh, even if you're not in the group, you'll kind of invite the church at times. So there'll be some opportunities there. Uh, all right. So we're going to end our time of sharing about ministries with James. There you are. I don't know why I was looking for you. Uh, James is going to share kind of his heart for um, just discipling men and kind of a uh, heart behind what we're doing with that right now. So welcome him up. My stuff's going to fall. Whoa, that went well. I'm also going to pray as well. Uh, dear Lord, I just pray that well, whatever I say right now is going to draw men to you. That we're going to be drawn to you because it's a get to be with you. Not because we have to do it. Oh, there are some things that are like, man, you need to do this because it's going to get you to understand who you are, God, more in our hearts. If I got just a, if there's anything that comes across that's pushing away or making it seem like a works-oriented thing, if I got to pray against that in the mighty name of Jesus, may this all be an invitation to something, not about something. I pray that in the mighty name of Jesus. Uh, there's so many thoughts to go over about men's ministry. One thing is, Pastor Nick, last week, women, 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 died. <laughs> so just to kind of make note of that, because it would be nice to see more men being up and speaking life over the congregation than just our awesome sisters in Christ who are just speaking it, and it's awesome. Um, and I've been daunted by that most of my career. Like, like I've, I just came to faith 10 years ago. I'm 10 years old. And uh, that whole thing I heard before, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. That makes sense. But when I came to faith, um, I didn't know how to love. Um, I didn't know how to love myself. So, yeah, my loving of my neighbor was pretty raunchy because I didn't know what to do. And then I came to a pretty dramatic change in faith where I'm like, yes, I need Jesus. And then it was like, now what? Oh, well, all this stuff's really easy. No. I came to church not knowing what's going on. Thankfully, the church I went to, there was just a lot of guys who were willing to pour in to me. Um, I will also say that we have that, I think, a lot of churches, but a lot of times, I think I was also willing. There's a part of me that said, yes, I want this, and came to those men and asked and made a commitment with them, a mutual agreement that they would pour into me and that I would show up. So there is a, there's a two-way thing here. It's not just a passive act. Oh, show me. Hey, I was there on Tuesday morning. Where were you? Ah, I got sidetracked. So there's a little sticky parts. You need to be on it. But the thing is, they poured into me and they showed me through their actions, through their commitment to me that God loves me so much. And that was never, ever communicated in my life. You know about God. Okay, God's up there. And I think Anna mentioned it last week. It's most people, when they're not church, is like, God's mean, and he's just waiting to thumb you down. It's not the truth. God loves us so much that he sent his son Jesus, his, only, his begotten son, to die for us. And it's just hard to bring that through. But the thing is, these men walked with me. They took my questions. They answered the questions. They were honest. Sometimes they're like, we don't know, but let's study that together. And for 10 years, I mean, for the first few years, it was just scary. I didn't even want to pray in public. Didn't want to do nothing. But they grew me. And that men's, those men spoke to me and said, look, one of the first things you need to do is you need to be with other men. Scripture speaks it. Proverbs 15, uh, Proverbs 27, 17. Iron sharpens iron. If you use a knife all the time, you do not sharpen it. It gets dull. Men need to be with other men. 
to speak about things so we can grow stronger, so that we can then speak one to each other, but then also so we can be stronger so we can then carry out the Great Commission, which is, well, go forth and make disciples. If we have not brought it in to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to recognize that we should do that because God loves us so much, how are we going to do that with somebody else without it coming off weak? I think you just mentioned it earlier today. It's like, if you're not taking care of your own house, why is somebody else going to look at you and go, I want that? But when we're in there with each other, building each other up, calling each other up, disciplining each other, like calling each other out. Hey, you say you love Jesus. Why? Uh, where are you at? Where, where is that at? Where, what direction are you going to? Are you going in a direction towards Jesus? Or are you going in a direction away from Jesus? We need to have loving men who know how to healthily be with each other. And that's a process. I think we need to learn how to do that. So that is a heart. I hope that made sense. But um, we are growing. We do have, we don't have so much program, but we want to. I suggest that you come please meet me. Please meet Pastor Nick. Talk with him. If you're interested in getting involved, getting plugged in, absolutely. One of the things we have been doing this past year is a little bit of a book. Um, we're calling it a triad because usually we're trying to keep it to two or three people. Uh, where it's small, tight, it's easy to communicate. Has anybody already gone through one of these? Yeah? Yep. Well, guys who have your hands up, if anybody else is interested in, talk with one of these guys about what it's about. It's basic Christianity, but it's awesome. It's a good guidebook. But the thing is, get into it. Co-ed groups are amazing, too. I don't, it's not like one's better than the other, but I will tell you, I've been in a co-ed group, and there's stuff that I want to talk about that it's not wise, and it's not good, and it's not smart to talk about that in a co-ed situation. It is better to keep those things in a, I need to talk to a guy about a guy thing, and we keep it safe. So just get to it. I mean, if you're worried and like, I don't know what I'm doing, like Jesus said, let the children come to me. If you're small, like just came to faith, don't know what you're doing, come talk to somebody. That's how you grow. Um, fast forward, my guys I've been walking with for my first church, I was just like, I'm going to bring you guys down. I'm going to hold you guys up. And they're like, no. You gotta understand, I've been walking in, one of my guys, Paul, he's just, I didn't know anything. And he has had to call me out on some things big time. And just challenge me with, you know, that's not good thinking. Let's, how would Jesus feel about that? And I'm just like always learning from him. But now there's been a place and space where I've been able to have talks with him where he's like, do you know how much Paul's told me how much he's grown because of his interaction with me. I'm like, what do you even mean? He's like, no, the questions you were asking were hard questions. It's questions I had nothing except for me to, to go to the Lord and pray for to give you an answer about that. How to walk with you when you were being a knucklehead and love you when you did not deserve to be loved. It's like, but God loved you anyway, and now here you are. That's what we need in the church for men to strengthen men to grow it up so that people will look at that and go, what's manliness? That guy is a godly man. I want to be like that. Not what the world will say is manliness because some of it's right. A lot of it is tainted. So guys, I encourage you, get on it. Bring it on. Jesus is the best. His way is the best way. And Let's get to it. I mean, just that way we get to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind. We get to love our neighbor as ourselves because we're first loved by God, and then we know how to love them well. I pray that that works, and thank you. All right, yeah, so these two commands, you know, to love God, to love our neighbor, uh, they dictate all that we do. And they should. Uh, do you notice how overlapping they are, though? Like interweaving? You know, how do we love our neighbor best? 
by being filled with God's love for them, by pointing them to God. How do we love God? As John says, how do you, you say you love God who you don't see, but you don't love your brother who you can see. No, we, we also love God by loving our neighbor because it's tangible. It's a way to actually love his image bearers. And so they, they inform and reinforce one another. And so that's what we are. We are disciples of Jesus. We do what he says. And this is what he says are the greatest commands, so we are going to hurry and do them. We do them personally, yeah, in our own lives, in our private life, but we also do them together. So we're going to enter a time of response this morning. Uh, Ray and Sarah and Matt, you can come on up. But I want to invite Cindy and James are going to be up front here on the right and left. Um, But we're going to, as you can see, you got communion elements uh, in the pew around you. Go ahead and hold off on taking communion, though, uh, until the end. And we're going to, you know, just like we talked about how we do these commands as a family, uh, once a month we take communion as a family. And so hold off till the end. We're going we're gonna to take it all together. Um, but right now, during these next few songs, um, you know, you can come up one-on-one if you want. But I also want to just open this front area up. You know, if you want to come forward, um, if, if anything that we've been talking about this morning kind of hits you, uh, if you're carrying a burden, if, if you want to lay before God your own plans for your life, you know, if you want to receive prayer in order, to, in order for the Holy Spirit to empower you to walk in this direction, um, any reason whatsoever that you might want to receive prayer, confession, repentance, uh, I just want to open this area up. Cindy and James are here. There's others, too, that can jump up and pray over those who are down here. But feel free to kneel on the floor, uh, kneel on the stage steps. I uh, just want to open this time up. And, of course, for the rest of us, we're here to worship. We're here to proclaim uh, God's praise, proclaim his worthiness, proclaim just how good he is, how good Jesus is. Um, and we'll worship together. If you want to give of your tithes, of your offerings, you can do that in this box. Um, but let's just spend some time, extended time in, in response, in worship as we seek to, to actually carry out these, 